Hello, I'm Doug Martin. And I'm Tasha Martin. Together, we share the joy of personal relationship with Jesus, marriage, children, and serving Vision Church in Lake Worth as pastors. Well, as the worship leader, I just want to invite you to come and worship with us. Well, something special happens when you come into the presence of God and His people in worship. As the lead pastor, I want to invite you to a very friendly and warm church that has a vision that it wants to share with everyone, seeing Jesus for us, in us, and through us. We're glad that you've decided to listen to our podcast, and I hope that if you're close enough to visit, you'll come by at 9.45 a.m. on Sunday morning, and after the service, say hello to us in the foyer. We would love to meet you. You can also connect with us at visionchurch.ag, on Facebook at agvisionchurch.ag, and on YouTube by searching for Vision Church Assembly of God. Here's my husband, Doug, preaching a message from Sunday. And uh, I just know that uh, the other day, when I turned my heart towards this service, that within a split second of time, the Holy Spirit just opened my heart up to something and just dropped it in my heart. How many of you had the moment like that, when you just feel like he speaks to you? Uh, Frankly, I wish every sermon was that way. I wish. There have been times that I've prayed and prayed and prayed looking for that to happen. And it's interesting the different ways that he goes about doing that. And I do know that with this one, it just seemed to be a Holy Spirit moment where he said, let's do this. And uh, so I'm excited about that because that means uh, that we're working together, all of us together. Those at home, we can also work together. I want to encourage you, those that are home, maybe to go get, get an index card. And uh, on one side of that, just put these words, and you're going to hear me share them with you in the message, and then we're going to have an opportunity to do this on the back. Now, you're at home, and you're not going to be able to get here, and you're not going to be able to do what others are going to be doing at the end of the service, but I want you to hang on to that card, and when you can get here, I want you to get that to us, and we want to make this a part of what we're going to be doing. It's going to be something that we're going to be able to see and something that we're going to be able to be reminded of and something we're going to be able to continue to pray over. Isn't that good? Yeah, I think that's a good thing. So this morning, I just want to plunge right in as we uh, begin to preach on seven things. This is seven things summer. This is the last sermon of seven things summer in that, in that series. I want to thank Pastor Steve for um, working with me and taking that template and then doing a beautiful job talking about the seven titles of Christ out of the book of Hebrews. Did you enjoy that last week? Why don't you let Pastor Steve know? Yeah. And so I just love the fact that the Lord has given us this team, and we all work together, and it's all about worshiping and honoring Him and uh, making sure that Jesus is lifted up and praised. So this is uh, the last sermon of this series. We're going to be heading into something I've already shared with you at the beginning of the summer, that we would be talking about, the theme is going to be, this is my story. And we're going to have an opportunity to hear some testimonies. I suspect that there could be somebody in these, someone or some people in this congregation that we can hear their story, one of two stories, and that is somebody who remembers what it was like to be born again, what they and who they were before that, and that epic moment in their life when they were born again, as well as those who had been born again and then went off and strayed away and then found themselves brought back by the loving shepherd and reconnected with him and with his body in a powerful way. And so we're going to just be thinking along those terms for the next few weeks. It might go in a month and a half, two months. I'm not sure of the time frame. But we're going to be doing some special things up here that's going to connect it all together. 
and we're going to have an opportunity to hear people say, this is my story. We're also going to have an opportunity to think about what our story is, and here's what we want to do. We want to begin to share our story. Every one of us have a story, and it's out of that story of what God's grace has done in our life that we can powerfully impact other people, not because we're powerful, but because Jesus is powerful. Not because we're powerful, but because his gospel is powerful. Not because we're something to behold, but because he is worthy and worthy to be praised. And he has overcome death, hell, and the grave. And he is alive forevermore. And there are some people who are in darkness and need to be brought into his glorious light. I do want to give a brother, I, I got with Maxwell with his assignment, but I just want to let Will know that he, it would be helpful if he would play some worshipful music uh, at the end because we're going to have some elongated time of prayer and worship and I wanted to put him on notice as well. Everybody has their assignments, right? <laughs> well, school started up again, so I want everybody to feel like they've just been handed the syllabus and they have an assignment. Here we go, seven things, and this morning I want to preach to you about seven last words. Seven last words. As I do, I want us to go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19 an epistle, a, a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, and he has a great concern and a great warning, and I think it's a very timely warning for our day, for our time, and it can serve as a stimulus. And, and how many of you love positive energy? How many of you prefer positive energy? What do I mean by that? That's the attaboys. It's the carrot, not the stick. It's, it's the... The reward, it's the positives. And would you agree with me that heaven is a real positive idea? How many of you know what negative energy is? How many of you enjoy negative energy? How many of you enjoy being around people of negative energy? No, we, we don't. Some of us, nevertheless, do tend to be negative, but maybe we ourselves don't like to be around negative people and and struggle with why other people don't want to be around us, but that's a whole other thing, and I don't want to go there this morning. The idea of hell, the idea of separation, the idea of thou shalt not, the idea of missing it, that's negative. And what we need to do is we need to have a place to hear in our life both the positive and the negative. There is the carrot and the stick. There is what happens if I don't. There, hap there is the consequences. And we live in a culture that just wants to have the attaboys and the positives and wants to do away with anything that is negative. The truth is negative. If you disagree with me, that's negative. And we just, we have an entire generation that's being raised up that doesn't know what to do and how to handle somebody who disagrees with them. Somebody who doesn't see eye to eye with them, and then it, then it devolves into violence. And so we know that these, the Scripture tells us that in the last days that perilous times would come. And if you read that out of Timothy, you see the headlines, and you, I can put video with that. I can show you video clips, and we could take the verse of Scripture and all the video clips, and in five minutes' time, you'd sit there and go, yep, yep. <laughs> he, it's like he was looking directly at our day. So as we look here at Philippians chapter 3, we hear the words of the Apostle Paul, and they're focused upon the cross, but listen uh, as we go to consider the cross, these seven words that he says this, for as I have often told you before, and now tell you again, 
even with tears, many, everybody say many, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Now what's destiny? Destiny is something yet off in the future. Destiny is off in the future, and some people will do things in the short term without any regard to what the destiny of that might be or whether that might lead them, and, and, and they become very short-sighted. So the very long view is that Paul wants us to consider that their destiny, way off in the future, is destruction. Their God, and here's why, because their God is their stomach. That is a way of saying that their impulses and what they desire to do has become their God. Another way of saying that is they have become themselves their own God. Their passions, their wants, and their desires have become their God, and their glory is in their shame. So they begin to wear their shame as if it's glory. Now, how many of you know the the Bible, Paul talks about a woman's hair is her glory? It gets fixed up, it looks very nice, flowing, curly, whatever, and it, it's a way of crowning her. It's a way of saying, wow. And so uh, when, what happens when people are wearing their shame as if it is glory? Treating as if it is something that should be paraded, something that should precede and come after them, and he says their glory is in their shame. Doesn't that sound familiar? Their mind is set... And here's the core problem. Their mind, this is the part of their soul that cogitates, that considers, mind, will, and emotion. Their mind is set on earthly things. What God has done is he has come and has given his son in Jesus the Christ and has presented to us the cross, like we see right over there and right back here, as something which can absolutely change our mind. In order to have your destiny changed, you must have your mind changed. In order to take your attention away from yourself and place it higher, there has to be a transition and a change. And rather than glorying in shame, here's what we need to do. We need to glory in glory. God has a glory for us. God has something beyond what we could ask or think. Anything that we can imagine, he wants to crown us. He wants to place upon us righteousness and glory. He wants to place something upon us that makes angels go, wow. That's what glory is. Glory, think about it. You might want to jot down that, that definition. It's not part of the prayer card or anything today. But, but glory is the thing that makes an angel go, wow. Right? Glory is something that makes, catches the attention of a heavenly being. And they go, wow. It's something that, that basically makes us go, wow. But if things get turned upside down and backwards, if we find ourselves not living right, we find ourselves actually glorying in shameful things. And the enemy will turn us upside down and have us glorying in shame. But instead, I'm telling you what you're destined for, what God has in mind for everyone in this room, everyone under the sound of my voice, he has glory in mind for you. He has something glorious and spectacular 
in mind for you. But in order to get there, there has to be a change of destiny. There has to be a change of focus. There has to be a change of this to where we're, we're now lifted up. And Jesus said, and if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And right here at this cross is a decision point. It's an inflection point where the mind can be changed. Now that should tell us that if that's what it requires to change the mind, the mind is a very stubborn thing to change. Hello? <laughs> if it requires that symbol right there to change the mind, if it requires the most atrocious form of death and humility known and concocted by man upon the face of the earth by the Romans, that if it requires the crucifix, that if it requires the cross, that tells us something about our mind. It tells something about our nature. It tells something about the desperate course that our life is on. It tells us about how downward it is, how shameful it is, and how dark it is. But we have some great news laid out before us. Jesus came to this earth, became a man, and suffered upon that cross so he could change our mind. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap. So, seven last words. Now, if anybody leaves you last words, they're important words. Okay. Now, I've got to lighten it up before we go a little deep here. I was reminded of the, the, the pastor. It was a story of a pastor, okay? I'm, it's a clue here. Just a story about a pastor. Perhaps this is made up that went to visit somebody that was in ICU and was standing there, and as they were uh, attending this person, was standing close by the bed praying, telling them everybody was praying for them and so on. And this person just seems very distressed and takes a piece of paper there and writes something on it. The, the pastor's looking at other people, the doctor's coming and going, the nurse's folds it up and hands it to the pastor. The pastor takes it and put it in his sport coat and, and continues to pray and then steps out of the room. The next day he hears that this individual's passed away. Next week they're preparing for the funeral. They go to have the funeral. Then he re realizes that he is at that funeral and he's prepared to uh, share some of the eulogy with the congregation, he remembers that he has the very same sport coat on that he had when he was standing at that person's bed. And so he thinks, you know, I never did read that note. As he reaches in, he pulls that note out of his pocket, puts it beside his notes, and looks down. And these simple words are written on that piece of paper. You're standing on my oxygen line. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I had to lighten it up a little bit. Some of you are saying, Pastor, that's pretty dark humor. That's, that's just pretty dark humor. That did not happen to me, I assure you. So in Luke chapter 23, verse number 24, and you see this on your card, that first word there is what? Let's all say it out loud. Forgive. Forgive. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, how many of you know if somebody's dying on a cross and they have something to say, you better listen to what they have to say. 
Somebody's hanging on that place of death. And they muster up their last breath in order to breathe out some words. Listen carefully to what they have to say. He said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Jesus was an expert in human behavior and human understanding. And he knew what it was like above all things, what it was like to be misunderstood. He was constantly guessed wrong by his dearest disciples, closest friends, and family. No one got it. (laughs) No one understood. But when they received the Holy Spirit and he ascended into heaven, there was a big bright light that went on over their head, and they went, oh, that's what he meant. Oh, and he even told them, after I go, you need to have the Holy Spirit. He'll come be with you and in you, and he will take the things which I've told you and the things that have pertained to me, and he's going to reveal them to you. These guys had some bright moments along the road, but most of the time they sat there with question marks over their head, wondering what he was meaning when he said that. He's very clear as he speaks these words, his first words from the cross, the place of the crucifixion, when he says, Father, forgive them. What's he doing? He's going to the cross to release them from the law. He's going to the cross to die himself, the innocent, in place of the guilty. And they're only guilty because the law has said, Thou shalt not. He's not come to release them from righteousness. He has not come to release them from their call, their high calling in God. He has come to release them from the the aspect of condemnation. He's come to release them from 613 points of law that could only do this. Guilty, 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 guilty. You can't do it. You can't attain. You can't measure up. You can't get there. But aren't you glad that Jesus did? He measures up. He got there. Give the Lord a hand clap. So what does he immediately do? He doesn't cite the law. He appeals to mercy. And he says, Father, forgive them. And he chooses to believe the best. He's looking at Roman soldiers. He's looking at priests and scribes and elders who are spitting at him, shooting their lip out as the expression goes, and saying he saved others. He himself can't save himself. If you're the healer, come down. If you're that savior, come down. And he knows something. If he he comes down, they can't go up. If he bails out, they're lost forever. And in the middle of all of that, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This cross stands before us, rooted in the middle of history. And and Jesus was lifted up on it because the cross is a sign of release. I've been set free from the obligation of my sin. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? 
I want to let you know as we go down through this list, I believe that at least one of these words is going to jump off the page at you. There's going to be one of these words that just really stands out, and it's okay if it's all the way at the last one. It could already be here, and you say, that's what the Lord is speaking to me this morning with that cross, and what He's speaking to me in this message. Hang in there with us all the way to the end, because there's something we're going to all do together. The next one is with. Everybody say it. With. Luke chapter 23, verse number 43. Then he said, who did? The thief that's beside Jesus, who is dying right beside him. He said, Jesus, and let me just tell you, that powerful image isn't because Jesus is lonely and needs some friends, but Jesus is willing to go to the cross and die with that man. He'll go with him all the way to death. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. What does that cross tell us? What does Jesus say from that cross? He says, with. And what does that mean? That tells us that death is a joining, just as it is a departing. How do we see it on the earth? We always see death as a departure and a division. But I'm going to challenge you to consider that because of the cross of Jesus, death has been declared completely differently. Now death becomes a joining. Death becomes not a separation, an ultimate separation from God, but Jesus now declares it as, today you will be with me in paradise. You will be, be with me in the place of the righteous dead. You're going to be with me. Death is a joining just as it is a departing. There is no time that you have to wait. When we die, the New Testament teaches us to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And this is the idea now that we are with Him we are in his presence, and Paul says, I don't know what's better for me to depart or to stay with you because he said to be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. I want to be in his presence, but as long as I'm in the body, I'm with you. And if I'm out of the body, I'm with him. And how many of you much rather be with God than any of the fine people in this room? I'm sorry, folks, but if you give me the choice, I'm with God every time. All right? And if you have to lose, it may as well be to God, right? To be absent from you means to be with God. No time to wait. And it speaks of peace and release. That we now are in His presence and we are released from the issues of the earth, released from the concern, released from the sin, released from the heartache, and finding ourselves in the very presence of God. And when that happens, the cross is a plus sign of addition. We often see the time of death and we see the cross as a subtraction. But Jesus, in fact, if you look at that, and if you look at it evenly, the cross now becomes what? The greatest plus sign in human history. It speaks to the fact that through the cross, I can be with God, and because of the cross, He is always with me. Give the Lord a hand clap. That's great news. Can't Jesus do something with a symbol? Wow. How about this one? Forsaken. That's not a happy word, is it? forsaken. Matthew chapter 27, verse number 46, about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lema sabachthani? 
And it's in the Aramaic, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is innocent, but God, he became God forsaken in our place. Jesus knew what it was like to be forsaken by God so that none of us would ever have to. Isn't that amazing? He was abandoned to death so that we would never know that abandonment. And he, this is the last time recorded in human history that it was ever necessary, ever necessary and truthful for a man to ever have to say those words. Those words never have to come from your lips. Because death has become, been converted into the greatest plus sign, never do we have to cry out, I have been abandoned by God, forsaken by God. We've used that expression, this is the most God-forsaken place. That room over there is the most God-forsaken place. That desert is the most God-forsaken place. I'm here to tell you something, that that is never true any longer because God has not forsaken us. He has given His only Son so that we would never know what it was like to be forsaken. Would you give the Lord a hand clap? The cross is a minus sign of subtraction. We have had removed from us the idea of being forsaken. Number four. John chapter 19, verses 26, 27. I put two words on my notes, but just one word on your card. And if you'll, just, if you'll allow that to be expanded to mean child or son, or daughter, okay? Can you all do that mentally without... Okay, I don't want you to hurt yourself on a Sunday morning, but... Okay. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. What was Jesus doing from the cross? What was he expressing in his last seven words? He's speaking about something. It's not about earthly family. Now, earthly family is wonderful. It can be. It can also be a, a, a terrible thing. We've seen that. We've read enough headlines and watched enough news stories. It's not nearly measured up to what it was supposed to be. And so Jesus takes care of his earthly family. He's the oldest, and he's responsible for his mother. This gives us some evidence that probably Joseph had passed away, and Jesus had been the primary responsibility for the family. And now what does he do from the cross? He looks to his disciple that he loved, John, and he looks to his mother whom he loved, and he said, I'm going away, so here's what I need. I need somebody to take care of mom but I need somebody to take care of mom in the context of the kingdom. What do we know from Scripture? Jesus, brothers and sisters, none of them accepted him as Messiah. At that point, yet. Everybody say yet. Yet. He had John who had accepted him. And what does he do? He says, John, here's your mom now. And mom, here's your son you're going to be taken care of 
I'm going to make sure that you're taken care of, not just with earthly concerns, but by somebody who is part of the kingdom family, because this here, this John right here, though he's no relative to me on the earth other than being Jewish, he is my brother because we have the same father. He has accepted me. And what does this tell us? Right in the middle of that cross scene, and with his last words, Jesus is making provision. Provision. He makes provision. The cross is a sign of value and inclusion. Typically it stood as taking somebody out by themselves, executing them, and holding them up to shame. But isn't it powerful what Jesus can speak from a cross? And that what he gets done changes the whole picture. And now we can look at that cross and we can sing songs like, and I, and I cling to the old rugged cross. Why? Because through that symbol, because of what Jesus accomplished there and because of what he said while hanging on that cross, now that cross speaks to us, Son. Now we are sons and daughters of God. Now we have value and inclusion because Jesus has spoken from those rough timbers of execution and he has said, Son, behold your mother. Mother, behold your son. The kingdom of heaven and its family is what is at stake here and it is forever. Amen. Amen. Number five. Number five. How about this one? Thirst. Everybody say thirst. You're going to say that, and then it's like having salted popcorn pictures showed in front of you. Some of you are going to start making a beeline for the water cooler in the lobby. Please please stay in here with us just a couple more minutes. We have something we're going to do together. It's going to be powerful. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished. How many of you like that word, finished? And so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty thirsty wait a minute the eternal living water of god is thirsty the son of god who said to a woman beside a well if you would ask of me i'd give you water you would never thirst again what is jesus showing us not only is he a source of living water but he is utter and true humanity and he has just utterly poured himself out His last full measure of devotion has been taken from him and he has been left in the lowest condition a human being can be. And that is, I'm just inches away from being gone. I'm thirsty. Oh, the things that people have done because they were thirsty. Somebody who's trudged across a desert. Somebody who has been desperate for just a drop of water. Do you remember the man in the flames of hell who cried out and said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus over here that he might just put a drop of water on my tongue. Why? Because I'm thirsty. This is a horrible, depraved situation to be in. And Jesus completely identifies himself with our human thirst. And he cries out from that cross and he says, I thirst. What does that tell us? That cross is a sign of emptying. It is there where Jesus poured himself entirely out. It is the place of human, the the limits of human existence. They must come to the cross because it is a sign of emptying. Number six. 
The sixth word there on your card, commit. Those of you at home are writing this down for the first time. Commit. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. Into your hands I commit. How many of you, don't raise your hand, struggle with commitment? Your blood run cold when you hear the word, I need somebody to commit to this. Oh, I hate the C word. Don't use the C word. You're asking for a commitment. What did Jesus do? He committed himself to the Father's plan all the way to where he is faithful even to death upon a cross. He, he made a total identification. Father, this is all for you. I've committed myself entirely. I'm completely identified as your son, as the son of man, as the plan of God. I am completely and utterly committed to identification with humanity to the point that I, the innocent, would die for the guilty. I am totally committed to the idea of submitting total control. I have total control over my life. This is what something Jesus could say. I have total control. If you could advance the slide one more total control i have total control jesus said no man takes my life from me i can lay it down and i can take it up again but what does jesus do he says father to you i commit and he submits and surrenders the control of his life over to the hands of his father does he trust him or what this is total trust I don't know about you, but when I look over these words, I struggle a little bit when I come to the word commit. Anybody who's walked any time with Jesus Christ struggles with that because they say, wow, I'm going to have to give up total control and not be in charge, and I'm going to have to totally trust the Father. That he knows what he's doing. He is the only wise God, and nobody else knows, and I'm going to have to totally trust oh for grace to trust him more the cross is a sign of trust isn't it amazing how jesus can give us so many signs with one old rugged timber that's used for execution tells us something about his creativity and his power number seven just as this sermon is finishing jesus said finished i'm going to ask will if you come and maxwell if you come and stand beside this old rugged cross they're going to get ready to serve and as they do i want to pick this up and move us into something i think is just epic i think this can be important in our life i think this can be special in the life of our church when he re had received the drink jesus said it is finished with that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit what was he saying Teleestomai, which was a Greek word which meant paid in full. How many of you have seen those big words, paid in full, stamped on a bill? Ever see a mortgage with that or a car note? Paid in full! Take pictures and call in the family, let's have cake and ice cream. No more easy payments, right? This says paid in full. And so this tells us, first of all, he knows he has fulfilled all the prophecy that spoke about the Messiah. And he says it's full, it's fulfilled. I've done it. 
I've done what was asked of me. It's fulfilled. The debt is entirely paid. I have paid with my blood for the debt of every human being on the face of the earth from the fall of Adam right through the last one. I have laid down my life so that they could know salvation and that they too could also know the Father. He calls out that word finished because he knows he has satisfied the Father. The Father has required of him certain things and this is what Jesus knows. I've finished everything the Father has asked me to do and it's cost my last full measure of devotion and I've had to divest myself of the life that is mine to take up and put away and I've given it into the hand of the Father and I know that the debt is paid. Would you give the Lord a thanksgiving praise? Put your hands together and applaud Him. The cross is a symbol of the bill stamped paid some of us struggle with that one wait a minute isn't there something that i need to do to make god happy well you need to walk in obedience behind jesus you need to walk out the life that he's given you and live out your salvation with fear and trembling but i want to tell you something jesus has paid the debt of your sin you can't do what you do because of a sense of the guilt and the debt of your sin. You have to do what you do out of the great appreciation and relief and the freedom of knowing that that cross tells me that all of that sin, all of that error, all of that selfishness, all of that self-living and self-loving, all of that short-sightedness, that has changed my mind because Jesus has taken a debt He did not owe. He's released me from the qualifications of my sin and the demands of justice against that sin and he has set me free and I can look to that cross and I can say it is finished so from the cross here's what Jesus says internalize this before we go any further he says I forgive you join me I know utter loneliness I include you in family. I know basic human need completely. I trust God completely. I have paid it all in full. Seven words. Seven simple words that we have on this card. As Brother Will plays, I want us to get, take a moment to pray. I want us to take a moment to respond. And I want you to take that card that you've been given. If you haven't gotten that card, there's some up here at the table. And when the time is appropriate, you can come up. When the, when the coast is clear and come up, here's what we're going to do. I want you to look at that card and say, what is the word that Jesus speaks from that cross that I need to have my mind most changed about? What is it about the cross that I tend to struggle with and could actually hurt my destiny? That I struggle with His forgiveness? Do I struggle with the fact that He would be, want me with Him? Do I struggle with the idea that He has known what it is to be forsaken by God so I would never know what it was be forsaken by God? 
Do I buy into the idea that he wants me to be a son or a daughter? Do I buy into the idea that he became man and he actually paid fully and dealt with completely every one of those things? Do I struggle with commitment? Do I try to keep paying the bill when Jesus has already paid it in full? So let's just close ourselves in for just a minute and just do two things. And then as you feel like you're done and ready, just circle or mark or somehow emphasize that one thing. Notice your name's not going to be on this and we have no handwriting analysis that we're doing. But you just take that and highlight that. And as you highlight that, maybe you want to circle it. I've got a Sharpie up here. And just circle that. And then on the back, write out a prayer. See, this is going to be nailed to the cross. Nobody's going to go around reading the prayer and trying to figure out how I wrote that. Lord, I, I really wrestle with accepting the payment you made for me. I keep trying to pay on the bill. Would you help me do that? Lord, how could you want me with you? Don't you realize the things I've done? Those kind of prayers. This is the thing that's, that really stood out to you this morning. And this could be a mind-changing prayer that you write on the back. Lord, I really need you, you to help me accept that payment you made. I keep trying to pay the bill, and I, I need help. Lord, I really wrestle with commitment because that cross tells me I have to be completely devoted and I'd like to to keep my options open. I really need help with that. So over these next minutes then, as you feel like you'd like to do it, once you've gotten that filled out, just make your way and be aware that uh, we're not going to have people all queued up and tight together. But just, just make a procession up here Hand your card to Max, and then Max is going to take that. He's got a power stapler, and he's going to staple it to the cross. Let's see this cross get filled up with some people who say, Lord, I need you to change my mind. I just need a mind change. of you that are home 
you've been right there with us. There's a word that jumps out at you. There's a prayer that you can write out. And then the next opportunity you have to be with us here at Vision Church. We've got a power stapler up here, and we'll take that. And we'll take it and put it on the cross. And then when we're in here, and as long as that cross is up there and has those, you can cut your eyes over because maybe you watched as Maxwell staple that up, or you saw me staple it up there. And you know that over there on that card where it says commit that one that's got circles all the way around it and underlined with exclamation points yeah that's me but Lord Jesus you went there you went there for me you have a word for me from that cross you might be sitting there and saying but you had seven words pastor right now today only one of them may resonate with you It's doubtful that all seven was. That's kind of overwhelming. But let the Lord speak to you with that one word. That one word. What is it? That place where you need to you need to embrace the cross. Because I come back full circle, for as I've often told you before, now tell you again, even with tears, many live as the enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. What do we have an opportunity to do today? Just through something as simple as this. To have an epic changing of our mind. And if he has an epic changing of our mind, it's an epic changing of our destiny. Isn't that awesome? He's in the destiny-changing business, and there's no way around it. Our destiny has to go through that cross. There's no side exits, no other opportunities. Otherwise, the Apostle Paul would not have shed tears and warned people and wept because he knew the calamity that was awaiting them. Simply why? They didn't deal with the cross. What's the first way we deal with the cross? Thank you, Jesus, for dying for my sins. You're my Savior. God has declared you my Savior. You're the only way of salvation. I accept that you took and paid for my sin. How do we continue at the cross? It doesn't stop there. It begins there. Every one of us in this room that are born again, we continually go to that cross and we realize that Jesus has something else to say to us from that cross. Hey, how about join me? be part of my family how about for be forsaken or how about forsake the way of unrighteousness how about be so thirsty and hungry for god you can't you feel like you're going to die if you're not in his presence how about utterly committed and how about letting me pay off all of the debt and set you completely free amen let's all stand to our feet i want to pray a blessing over and as always at the end of the service after i've released you If you'd like to find a place, space yourself across the front. Just let something get cemented into your spirit. Spend some time with the Lord in prayer before we go. We can can do that. The rest of us will be dismissed. And so, Lord, I just pray your grace and your peace upon every one of us. Lord, open our ears. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to His church. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to us. And let us personalize that. Help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to 
me. What do I need to hear Jesus saying from the cross? And make it real in me so that my mind can be utterly and completely changed and that I can be transformed by your grace. Because it's only through the cross of Jesus the Christ. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We ask your blessing and your peace upon each one as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. We hope that you've been touched by God's grace. As you've listened to our podcast today, we'd love to hear your response via email. And the address is podcast at visionchurch.ag. Podcast at visionchurch.ag. And if you're in the area and don't have a church home, we'd love for you to come and visit us personally. We're located at 4024 Dakota Trail in Lake Worth, Texas. We together have a vision, seeing Jesus for us, in us, and through us.